Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. Man, I, wow, worship was fantastic this morning, wasn't it? Um, yeah, so we are, um, you know, about six months into the 10 years of 2020, right? It has been a long year so far. 2020 has been crazy. I actually think it's kind of like we've been in this crazy, like, show or movie, and all these crazy things are happening, but there's some pretty big gaps in the plot line, like murder hornets. Whatever happened to the murder hornets, right? Like, what happened to those? What happened to the aggressive rats that were going to take over New York City? It is literally like there's all the questions and no answers. And um, we're living in it right now. And it has been a wild ride. It has been a wild, wild, wild ride. And... um, and I kept thinking before, you know, this whole, this last six months, in this last, as everything has just continued to happen, what if 2020 is exactly what we've been asking for? Right? What if 2020 was not the 2020 vision and we're going to see and we're going to accomplish, but 2020 actually was going to teach us how we see? right? How we view things, what's going on deep inside of us. Cause I don't know if any of you guys have felt it, but it feels like we are being refined and we are continuing to be refined and it doesn't really seem to end, right? But what if it's exactly what we've been asking for? What if God is saying, I am hearing your cries for revival. I'm hearing your cries for transformation. And I am going to get you ready, church. Right? One of my favorite quotes in the whole world that actually constantly calls my own life into check is that when the church loses her supernatural power, all she has is political power. How do we get the supernatural power that we should walk in as the church? How do we do it? There has to be a way because I don't want a watered down version of the authority of God. Right? I want the true, powerful, supernaturally infused authority of heaven. Right? And the first time we actually see this in the Bible, where we really see the authority of God poured out and the supernatural released, is in the cry of an enslaved people. The cry of the marginalized, the cry of the oppressed, and God showing up and saying, I'm going to do something. And it's an exodus in the life of Moses. And that's where we're going to spend our time today. Um, this is the first instance. Anytime you see a first, you know it's important. But when God, the first time God really entrusted his authority to the mankind, to a man, right? There are three types of authority. So the message where I'm, I'm going to talk about today is spiritual authority, true spiritual authority, and where does it come from? There are three types of spiritual authority, right? There's positional authority, and that's by people who are voted in, placed in, in positions of power. 
And then there's delegated authority, which those people who are in positions of power then give their power, they give their authority to other people to fulfill what they're asking, what they need to do, okay? And then there's spiritual authority. And spiritual authority can only be given by God, okay? You guys know, I'm sure, the life of Moses, it's, it's, you know, the book of Exodus, and it's such an interesting story. I spend a lot of time in Genesis and Exodus in my own understanding, because the beginning sets up for everything, right? And so the life of Moses um, begins in a really hard time for the Hebrew people. Pharaoh's insecure. He thinks they're going to take over. So he starts doing things to keep his power, right? He's, he's an insecure leader who thinks he has to keep his power. So he starts bringing oppression. And he says that all of the male children of the Hebrews have to be killed. This is the welcoming party for Moses coming in, right? You're not worth anything. You're going to be killed. But it's interesting because there are three instances of disobedience that protected his life. There's first the midwives who say, we're going to disobey what Pharaoh is asking. Then his mom hides him for three months away so that he's not killed. And then lo and behold, the daughter of Pharaoh moves in disobedience to save his life. Right? Sometimes... Disobedience is the call of God on our lives, right? Sometimes there's something where the law of the land doesn't align to the law of the kingdom, right? And these three instances, these women saved a nation because of their disobedience. All right. So Moses then is raised. He's raised in the... As an Egyptian, he's a Hebrew, but he's raised an Egyptian, and with all the privilege that comes with that position, all the rights, all the just lavish extravagance, and that's just how he grows up. Until one day, he, in his immature call, because we know he had a call to justice, because God used him later to bring justice and to save a nation. But as an immature, in his immaturity, in his immature calling, he acts out injustice and kills somebody, right? And then from there, he flees to the desert and for 40 years, reinvents himself as a shepherd, right? So midlife crisis, anyone? Go be a shepherd. Um, So he goes in, he's doing that. But in the meantime, things are getting worse in, in Egypt. Things are getting really bad for Israel. And they are crying out. And God decides to do something about it. And he approaches Moses. And a lot of us know the story. He shows up in a burning bush. And Moses is going about his normal routine right? His normal life. And all of a sudden, God shows up in a miraculous way. And he can stay with the norm and continue what he's doing, or he can turn aside and look at what is really happening, right? 2020 pulled us out of the norm, guys, right? Pulled us out of our routine. Moses then talks to God, right? So Exodus 3, 6, then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
So first and foremost, God calls attention to himself. This is who I am. Get the focus on me. All right. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So God then says, focus on me, and let's talk about how serious this situation is. All right. And then he says, and by the way, here's the plan. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, um, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, Moses' response is actually not one of um, faith and compassion. I'm not going to get into the whole thing and and read the whole scriptures because we don't have time. But the rest of chapter 3, Moses is making it all about him. But what? I can't. I can't. He doesn't once think about the people. And he doesn't once put the focus on God. He is questioning his identity. What about me? What about this? What about whatever? And you know how God answers? God answers with his identity. I am who I am. Right? 314. When we start wondering about if it's about us, God says, no, no, hey, it's about me. It is about me. Okay. And when we put our focus on God and the desperate need of the people, things start changing. God reminds Moses, focus on me, focus on the people, and they will listen to you. Lays it out clear. But Moses still doesn't get it. Right? So, man, I am so like him. Okay. Um, <laughs> Exodus 4.1. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? It's all about me. It's all about me. And God actually completely ignores his question at this point. I think he's like, come on, you've got to be kidding me. Right? <laughs> and then he just responds with a question. And you know what he says to Moses? What's in your hand? And Moses replies, a shepherd's staff. God says, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw the staff down and it turned into a snake and Moses jumped back. Now we cannot fully understand what is happening here unless we understand the symbolism of this staff. Okay. In that day, the staff represented the most obvious sign of Moses's authority. And this was across the board. If you were a shepherd, you carried a staff because it told people who you were. And all the gods of Egypt carried staffs. The Pharaoh carried staffs. It was a sign of power and authority, right? It was a sign of identity. It was his title. It was his, uh, his experiences. And it was his position. It was his identity, who he was. Physically, it was something to lean on. It was a point of dependence. It was a point of protection. It could be used as a weapon. And um, it was a way to clear obstructions. He could get things out of the way so he could do his job. Right? And it was also a treasured personal possession of value. So when God was asking him to lay it down, he was saying, let it go. 
That is a perceived authority. That is a false identity. And it doesn't depend on you. Because true spiritual authority depends on me. He said to Moses in that question, throw it down because you have become comfortable being a shepherd. It has become your source of identity, dependency, security, and protection. What have we become comfortable with? Those things we want to keep, we want to hold on to that identify us, that give us meaning, that give us purpose, that give us a position, that give us a title, whatever it is. If we cannot lay them down, we cannot be trusted with true spiritual authority. And now that we understand what God was asking of Moses to lay that staff down, to throw it down, we've got to look at what happens next and what the snake represents. If you do any study of history, you realize that the snake was a god worshipped in Egypt. It was huge. It actually had different, in different instances, represented Pharaoh himself. They would wear crowns with a scorpion, or not a scorpion, a cobra on their heads. That's how much the snake represented Egypt in this passage. Okay. It also represented Moses's culture and his history, right? You lay it down. When you lay down the things that you have in your life that are identifying you, you can actually start to see how poisonous they are, right? When we say yes to God and we lay things down, we realize that our culture and our history, our opinions, our politics, whatever, can be poisonous. But it's only before him that we can see that. The Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff. This was a very dangerous thing to do, right? Grabbing a poisonous snake by the tail sets you up to be bitten and killed, right? But what God was saying is, are you going to be obedient? Are you going to be obedient? Are you going to have faith to do what I've said? And are you going to sacrifice all your natural instincts for self-protection, which is what we do when we partner with things in our identity? It's just to protect ourselves, right? Are you going to sacrifice that to pick up true spiritual authority? After that point, the the staff was called the staff of God. It was no longer a shepherd's staff. It was no longer the staff of Moses. But in Exodus 4.20, Moses chose to obey and take his family to Egypt And the staff of God is in his hand. Okay, that staff from that point becomes the constant reminder of spiritual authority with man. Authority over the enemy. A display of the miraculous power of God. And a reminder of Moses' intimacy with the Lord. This became his strongest point of identification. 
Now, there are four keys to spiritual authority um, given to us through the life of Moses and the staff. Okay, through this, this, this symbol of spiritual authority. Now, the first one we just talked about. To have spiritual authority, we have to lay down everything and anything contrary to it. Okay? Number two, you must wield it. You must wield spiritual authority in dependency and obedience out of intimacy with God for it to be effective. Okay? Not every single time in Egypt did, was the staff used to release the miraculous. God's really intentional about that and letting us know. So Exodus chapters 8 through 11, there are 10 plagues that are released in Egypt. And only six times was a staff used. Because just because something worked in the past or is even working right now does not mean the authority of God is on it, right? We have to be asking him and be in step with the Holy Spirit if we want to walk in true spiritual authority. Moses' spiritual authority stemmed directly from the priority he gave to his time with God. If you look at his life, he spent not just hours, but days and days waiting on God and listening. I mean, he had to write all the decrees of Israel, right? And as he did it, he continued to grow in his spirit, spiritual authority and, and lead the nation of Israel. And honestly, he was so dependent on God that they were almost inseparable, right? You couldn't separate the presence of God from Moses. His face shone with the glory of God. And Jesus was also that same example to us, right? This is exactly how he got his authority because Jesus was not born with a position. He was not born with a title. He was not born with any authority on this planet that was given to him. He received it from his obedience to the father in relationship with him. John 5, 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son of God can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. He modeled true spiritual authority for us. And he often did that by challenging the culture and reaching the marginalized. Okay, so number three, to have spiritual authority... We don't carry it in independence. We partner with others and need to share the weight of it. When we need to, we need to share the weight of it. Exodus 17, 7. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of your, your men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held his hands up, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, you guys, we all get tired. Okay. And if we haven't gotten tired in 2020, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> no. 
but they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and her held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. We are not lone rangers. And just like we need to know the dependency and what God, and have dependency on what God is saying to us, we also need to know when we need to lean on others. Right? We can't move in independence and think we can do it. It's the exact same. We're dependent on God. We're dependent on others. And you know what that does? It keeps us humble. And it keeps the spiritual authority of the kingdom of God flowing in our lives. This is the big one. Number five, we never use it in pride to justify ourselves or judge others. Numbers 28, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before the eye, there, speak to the rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. The water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Moses moved in disobedience and pride. He misused the symbol of authority by doing his own thing. And he was more impressed with the symbol of the authority and his position than he was with the source, God. And he took that symbol, he took that authority, and in anger and frustration, used it. Didn't trust God. And he put the focus back on himself and back on Aaron. And then he justified himself. He judged and attacked the people. He was bitter towards them. We gain spiritual authority by laying stuff down. But we lose it when we get bitter towards the masses God is calling us to. God takes it really seriously. We're called to lead and reach people. We're called to walk in spiritual authority. But our strongest points can become our weaknesses if we remove the fear of the Lord and intimacy with him from our lives and our opinions. None of us, no matter our history and the wins that we've had with God, no matter how deep our relationship with him has been in the past, 
are immune to this kind of mistake. Only humility and intimacy can keep us from it. Moses walked with God. He was called a friend of God. He released supernatural power, unlike has ever been seen on the planet, over and over and over again because he had spiritual authority from God. He saved a nation. He saved the nation that changed the planet. And yet right here, he threw it all away. Manifested anger, pride, unbelief, judgment, and defensiveness. And he gave a distorted view of God to the people. He was a representative of the most high. And he misrepresented, represented, represented God and his authority because of his ego. The snake got back in the staff and it became about him. Because of this, Moses was limited in his leadership and influence with the people. He still had a title, but he had lost his spiritual authority. His relationship with God changed and he lost intimacy. And he was never entrusted with the staff of God again. How much do we want spiritual authority, guys? Because there is a cost to it. There's a cost to walk in true spiritual authority in the supernatural. And we can compromise and live a watered-down version of it, or we can have the full thing. Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. We appreciate your support, and we'd love to fellowship with you. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us, and we hope you have a blessed week.